good morning. Start turning, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 32. That's where we'll be landing today. And uh, also anticipating a great week at Falls Creek. Can't believe it is back, and we have taken a great group this next week. I hope you'll be praying for them. You'll hear how you can do that at the end of the service. And then when they get back next week, next Sunday night, we're going to gather together for a church-wide fellowship called PCBC Family Fun Night. And we'll have to uh, really pray about it since we'll be outside in the heat. But we are inviting you to join us that night. We're going to have hot dogs. Kona Ice will be here. We've got all kinds of games scattered all over the grounds outside the annex. The annex will also be open in case you need to get a little bit of air conditioning and enjoy that fellowship. So be back. You can either stay home and do False Creek Laundry or you can be back for Family Fun Night. I dare you. You pick and see which one is best for you. Let's dig into Psalm chapter 32. And in Psalm 32, we're going to deal with one of seven psalms that deal with the issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something everybody in this room struggles with, everybody in this room needs, and yet at the same time, it's the very issue that Satan will try to destroy your life with. It's, uh, as we go through Psalm 32, we're going to see that David is going to help us grasp the assurance that we can be forgiven. I'm convinced that every person in this room struggles from time to time, wondering, can God forgive this? Can God forgive me? And the enemy loves to rob us of that assurance. As we go through scripture, you're going to see that God is the God of forgiveness. And while he is the God of forgiveness, we also find that the enemy of our souls is the exact opposite. He is the God of unforgiveness. And so you get to choose every day which God owns you. Will it be the God of forgiveness or will you allow your enemy and live in the land of unforgiveness to kill, steal, and destroy? David experienced both in his life. And as he writes this psalm, as the Holy Spirit inspires him, the Holy Spirit used what he was living through for him to come to understand who God was, the God of forgiveness. As I said earlier, everyone in this room struggles with this concept of forgiveness. We need forgiveness personally. As the enemy comes to attack us, he tries to convince us that we can't be forgiven, that we've done something so bad, so wrong, that there's no way a holy God could forgive us. He loves to whisper in our ears and say, you know what, you're so messed up. There's no way a perfect holy God could love somebody like you. That's unforgivable. Not only do we need God's forgiveness personally, but we also need it relationally. We all struggle. If you live longer than 24 hours on this planet, there is somebody walking on this planet that you have a hard time forgiving. Matter of fact, you've wrestled with, I don't know that I could ever forgive them for what they've done. I will not forgive them for what they've done. We all wrestle with this issue. Nobody more qualified to talk about it than King David. King David, who not only was a man after God's own heart, but also was a man. And in that flesh of his, he found that he too stumbled and he too sinned against God and against God's will and did egregious things that I'm sure at night he wondered, could God ever forgive me for what I've done? If you remember the story, he committed adultery and then to cover up that sin, he had the woman's husband killed in battle so that no one could know that David was the true father of Bathsheba's new son. As he dealt with that and as he tried to cover it up, we find what God did in David's life and what God wants to do in your life. So take a look. Let's go to verse 1. How blessed is he 
whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is, look at that next word, underline it and mark it, whose sin is covered. As I said earlier, there's a temptation for us to want to cover our sins, to cover it up, to act like it's not there, or, or to try to guard it where nobody else can see it, including God, and instead of letting God cover it up. David said, blessed is the person, yes, they have committed a wrongdoing, they have transgressed against God, and yet they find forgiveness. Their sin is covered. Well, again, as the enemy tries to rob you of that reality and that truth, I want to take you into Scripture and see what God's Word says, not what you hear in your head, not what you experience emotionally, but what God has declared. Three words we find in Scripture for three different ways that we sin against God. First one is what we see here in verse 1. In the New American Standard, it says wrongdoing. Uh, in a lot of other translations, it's the word transgression transgression now that word transgression stands for an act of rebellion and what David says is I chose to do the exact opposite of God's will I had wrongdoing in my life I transgressed against God's holy will and God's holy word I totally turned my back on what he has declared to be holy and I chose to go after what was unholy I transgressed against God that's one word for transgression. Well, how does God deal with our transgressions? Is there a sin in your life that God won't forgive? Is there something that we might do on this planet that God says, okay, that's it. You missed it. I will not forgive you or I won't forgive that. Well, let's look into scripture. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our wrongdoings, our transgressions from us. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. When you take that to God and when you ask God to forgive that and for God to cleanse you of that, the Bible says he will remove it as far as the east is from the west. Now, how does that happen? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. In Proverbs 28, it says, for God to be able to take that sin away, for God to be able to forgive it, we first have to deal with it. Take a look at it. For one who conceals his wrongdoings will not prosper. The very first human beings that ever struggled with the issue of forgiveness were Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God's word. They knew they weren't supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet they said, I don't care what God has said. I'm going to do what I want to do. And they did it. They transgressed against God. And in that, as they wrestled with it, all of a sudden, here's the enemy saying, uh-oh, uh-oh, you sinned against God. God can't love you now and God won't love you. You better run as far as you can go. The Bible says Adam and Eve went and they hid themselves from God and they tried to cover up their sin. There's some people today that think that they can take on that same strategy. Right now, you think you can hide it from your parents, hide it from the preacher, hide it from your boss, hide it from your spouse. And we got it all covered up and we're going to be just fine and we just got to move on and we don't deal with our sin. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, but the one who confesses, watch this, circle these two words and write them down. The one who confesses their sin and abandons their sin, they will find compassion. See, a lot of people like Judas 
will struggle with their sin. They, they know they've done wrong and they feel sorry for what they've done, but that's not experiencing the forgiveness of God. If all you are is sorry because you've done something stupid or you've done something that's going to get you in trouble, that doesn't get you the compassion of God. It says not only are we to confess it, but what's that next word? We must abandon that sin. Our youth are going to hear the gospel preached this week and I know in their cabin time they're going to look at the difference between Judas and Peter and how they both responded to their sin. One would experience the forgiveness of God, one would never get there. Why? Because he never abandoned his sin. There may be somebody here this very morning or somebody who's worshiping online and you're familiar, you know you've sinned and you've asked God to forgive you a million times. But you've never abandoned the old life and you've never abandoned that sin and you've never come to God and said, God, I give you everything. I give you my life today. Today is your day of salvation. Today is the day that you can experience the compassion of God and the forgiveness of God. And you say, whoa, whoa, he can't forgive somebody like me. He forgave David. He's forgiven me. He's forgiven those sitting next to you. And he will forgive you as well. How do we know that? Isaiah chapter 55 or 53 verses 5 through 6. The prophet Isaiah would speak about what God would do to accomplish your forgiveness. Take a look at it. It says that Jesus, speaking prophesying of the one who would come, the Messiah, we know it to be Jesus. That he was pierced through for our what? Transgressions. Because of my rebellion and because of your rebellion, that's why Jesus died. When we go over to Turkey and we spend time with our missionary there in Turkey, and we haven't been in a while, and I pray that maybe we get to go back someday. As we go around throughout that Muslim nation, what was once, once filled with the testimony of the gospel and key areas of the New Testament used to thrive in Turkey, now under Muslim control. Our missionary has taught us the the, the bridge into a person's life and, and to share the gospel with them is to ask one simple question. Why did Jesus die? They're very familiar with Jesus. Jesus is considered a good man, a good prophet. They read about Jesus in the Quran. They, they, they're familiar with who he is and believe him to be a good teacher. But they've never wrestled with the question, why did Jesus have to die? Well, Isaiah 53 tells us why. The reason Jesus had to die was because of you because of me he was look at it again he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastising of the, the the responsibility the debt was all placed on him it all fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed our forgiveness comes not just because God turns his head from our sin our sins have been forgiven because Jesus paid for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2, you can write it in your notes. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he had for us, even while we were dead in our wrongdoings. That's the same word for transgressions. Even though our rebellion had us spiritually dead and separated from a holy God, God even in his love, rich in mercy, he still brought us a life through Christ. Look at what it says. For when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved. If you live in the land of unforgiveness, 
If you die in your sin that has not been forgiven, you are separated from a holy God. Not because God doesn't love you, but because sin cannot be in the presence of holiness. And that's our separation. But God, rich in mercy, and because he loved you, he sent his son Jesus not only to die for you, but to make you alive. When you trust Christ and when you place your faith in him, the Bible says you're born a second time. Your spirit, which is dead in your sin, your rebellion, it is uh, brought to life. But then look at verse 6 and look at this. It says, and he has raised us up with him. Not only has he forgiven you, not only has he given you a new life, but he's also raised you up with Christ. We will rule and reign with him. It is a whole brand new life. So you can live in the land of unforgiveness or you can experience God's forgiveness. All of us have rebelled against him and all of us need new life. Number two, a second word that's used is simply translated in our language, sin. Now that word is so familiar, you hear it all the time, especially if you spent any time in a Baptist church, you know that word, sin. But do you actually know what that word means? Well, I'm going to help you understand it better today with a video clip. Uh, as you watch this movie, you will actually see sin. I want you to see if you can see it. Let's take a look. It's Knight's Tale, Heath Ledger, a joker, and a knight. You're going to see it in the clip. See if you can see sin in Knight's Tale. Come on, ponies. Follow him. Step by step, balance. No, 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 no. Slow and slow. Keep it steady. I got it. Look, I got it. I got it. There you go. See the point in the movie clip where he sinned you see that word for sin actually goes back to medieval days it's a, a term they would use at contest uh, maybe a knight competing for the prize or an archer and when you aimed at the target if you missed the target they would yell out the word that is used in the Greek that we translate sin it means to miss the mark as he was trying so hard to go from being a pauper to becoming a king, a person of position in his uh, society. He tried and he tried and he tried. And what'd they say? He keeps getting worse. And you see, it doesn't matter how hard you try to hit the mark. It doesn't matter how you try to have more good than bad. You still miss the mark. 
sin. And that's what they would yell out whenever it was missed. They would yell out that word that we now see in Scripture known as sin. Romans 3 says, all of us have missed the mark. Every single one of us. Now, some get closer than others. And even at the very end, when he finally gets the lance to get in that little target, and he finally thinks he's got it, and he starts to celebrate what happened, he still fell short, straight down into a pit of muddy water. It's a picture of the reality of we trying to cover our sin, we trying to do good for God so God would love us. We have to understand God demonstrated his love for us when we were messed up and when we were sinners missing the mark. And the only one who was the perfect mark, Jesus, left his throne in heaven and came to this earth so he could pay the price for your and my sin. In the movie clip, he missed it. In life, we miss it. But we see in scripture that Jesus paid for all of it. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 14. In Scripture, in the New Testament, we are taught that sin, when the, these things that we miss God's mark, the, the things that we get engaged with that don't glorify God and don't honor Him, those ways we miss the mark, that it's through sin, it ends up mastering us. But He said, sin shall not have to be the master over you. For in Christ, you're no longer under the law, but you are now under grace. What we learn from Romans 6 is one of two realities exist in this room. There are some who are in bondage to their sin. It owns them, and it has them like a ball and chain, and they can't break from it. Or there are those who have been set free through Christ Jesus. How are we set free? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. In other words, Jesus took on flesh. He left his throne in heaven. And he took our sin, now not by sinning, not doing what we have done, but paying the price for what we have done. He took all of that on himself. I want you to understand that your freedom and, 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 and being forgiven doesn't come cheap. That God's forgiveness in your life, it wasn't just God saying, okay, look how cute they are. They're so cute, like a little puppy. And I know they messed up, and I just, I, I'm, I'm a loving God, and so I, 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 I and that's enabling and that's not a just God but God who is loving and God who is just said a price must be paid and he took our sins on himself on a cross because the wages of sin is death instead of you and I dying in our sin and dying in that unforgiveness Jesus became your debt payment he who was without sin became sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To know the forgiveness of God, blessed is the one. Blessed is the person whose sins have been forgiven. Whose sins have been paid for and wiped away. And has become the righteousness of God. But there's one last way that we also experience this word sin. We have transgressions. We have this issue of missing the mark. But then there's this word iniquity. Iniquity. And iniquity means to take a, cro a crooked or wrong act. It is a conscious and intentional intent to do something wrong, but not that wrong. 
In other words, instead of a total rebellion like a transgression where you just say, forget you, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, we can kind of talk ourselves into an iniquity. Almost sounds royal, doesn't it? Almost sounds proper, doesn't it? An iniquity, transgression, sin, iniquity. Iniquity is just taking a little bit of a detour. It's just a, a, not a straight path, but a little crooked jaunt in the pathway, just kind of stepping out of bounds a little bit. No big deal. You ever said that? You ever justified in your mind? Well, I know it's wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. At least it's not like King David. At least I didn't have anybody killed today. As if that's the only score God's keeping. Don't let the enemy play that game in your mind that it's not that big a deal. Or to tell you, you know, everybody, everybody's on that road. Everybody's doing that. And look, they're still doing fine. They're okay. You'll be okay. No big deal. Well, if you want to listen to the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and you want to take his path, go for it. And many have and many will, and many will get burned. But what does God's word say about our iniquities? I take you back. Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 6 look at it again but Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions yes he died for our sins but watch this and he was crushed for our iniquities even those itty bitty little detours even those small things that seem like no big deal it was a big deal to Jesus he was crushed he was pierced. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was nailed to a tree. Why? Because of my transgressions and because of even my iniquities, those itty-bitty things. We'll go back to Psalm 32. Let's, let's read a few more verses, and I'll send you home. Watch this. Verse 2. So how blessed is a person who finally has experienced the forgiveness of God whose guilt the Lord does not take into account, and whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, David, David didn't always live in verse 2. There was a time in his life that he was deceitful with God, deceitful with his wives. Yeah, he had more than one wife. That's a deal that went on in those days, and that's a whole nother sermon. He was deceitful with his whole kingdom, stood there acting like the king of Israel and continued to wear the banner, a man after God's own heart, and yet he'd been a man after another man's wife. He had played his politics and his power to try to cover his sin and had a man murdered to try to help him out. He'd been deceitful. But then he found the blessing, the blessing of being real with God, knowing that the guilt of his sin was no longer taken into account. See, when you live in unforgiveness, when you live in that transgression, that rebellion, or if you live in that sin, missing the mark, doing what you want to do, or, or even in an iniquity of just barely missing the mark, you now have that sin on the books. And there's an account to be given and a price to be paid for the wages of sin is death. And David found that the longer he carried it and the longer he tried to deny it and the longer he tried to cover it up, the more his account kept building. 
He says, blessed is a person whose sins are no longer on the books. And I remind you, David's debt, my debt, your debt, doesn't get erased just by God breaking out a holy eraser and saying, okay, they'll do better on their next test. Now, the way that our account was settled is there was a debt to be paid, a debt that none of us could pay, a debt beyond any way we could pay it out and pay it off. But Jesus, Jesus just didn't erase it. Jesus paid for it. And that sin that you want to embrace and that sin you want to invite into your life and that sin that you think is no big deal, it's the very thing that cost Jesus his life. But for those who understand God is the God of forgiveness, can have any and all sin erased. I don't know if you know much about the history going all the way back into the 14th century. I don't ever remember really learning about Robert the Bruce. Anybody know Robert the Bruce? Robert the Bruce would become king of Scotland from 1306 to 1329. Back in the 14th century, at the early breakout of the 1300s, Scotland was under the rule of England. Robert the Bruce was one of the most famous warriors of his generation in all of Scotland's history. He would rise up among the ranks to lead them to rebel against England, to fight for their independence, and, and to lead them to be their own nation. England would send their forces to capture Robert the Bruce. And if they could put him to death, he could squash the rebellion, and Scotland would continue to remain under the English rule. The very end of this war, Robert the Bruce and his men were trapped. There was nowhere to go. They couldn't get away. They were surrounded. And a matter of fact, it got so bad that the English had captured his very own bloodhounds, and they released the hounds. There they were hiding. And here come the dogs. And they could hear their voices and the yelps getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden there was a panic among the men. And they came to him and they said, what will we do? We are certainly going to be found and discovered and killed. And then Robert Bruce said this, guys, I know what to do. Follow me. They began to follow him and he made his way into a river he called all of them to follow in behind and they jumped into that river and they went upstream through that river as far as they could go and they exited on the other side into the deep dark forest never to be caught never be discovered those dogs that were hot on the trail got all the way to that river bank and all of a sudden they started circling and they started sniffing and they started looking for the scent and they couldn't find it you see when they got into that water that river washed away the scent. And those bloodhounds that were on their trails, those bloodhounds that were going to give them over to death, could not find him. I stand before you, not a perfect man, but a forgiven man. I stand before you knowing that I have been forgiven, not because of anything I've done, but because I look to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And I want you to understand that while Satan would try to come after me and come after you, and while he would try to hunt you down and remind you of all your sin and all you've done wrong and how you don't deserve God's forgiveness, 
I want you to understand that once you step into that river of forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away. The scent is removed. And he can't touch that. I stand before you forgiven in Christ. I'm a blessed man. I'm forgiven. Are you? Has there been a point in your life where you've jumped into that river of God's forgiveness? You've come to understand that that river comes through the blood of Jesus Christ that was laid down for you and your sin? Then you've got to ask for that forgiveness. Look at verse 3. For David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality failed as with dry heat of the summer. So we see, verse 3, we see the struggle in a heart. It was in David's, it might be in yours. He said, I kept silent about my sin. I wouldn't confess it. I wouldn't acknowledge it. I acted like it didn't even happen. I, I, I tried to just move on with my life. I want you to understand, you can't move on. It will hunt you down. The dogs are on your heels, and they will capture you in that unconfessed sin. When I kept silent about my sin, he says, man, my whole, my whole person was being affected. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's what unconfessed sin does. Not only does it impact you, but it impacts those around you as well. And I want you to know the Lord loves you too much to let the enemy get the victory. He loves you too much to leave you in that sin. He will step in. And in that point, he brings us conviction. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment. Because as you struggle with that sin in your life, there's a struggle to conceal it, to cover it, and to deny it. And as God steps in, the holy God who loves you, your holy heavenly Father, he will bring conviction. For he is the God of conviction. But notice this, the opposite of God, Satan. The enemy of your soul doesn't go after the conviction part. He turns it into condemnation. What God is trying to do to draw you out of that trap, out of that destruction, Satan is trying to keep you in that trap with condemnation, condemning you and telling you you're not worthy and you messed up and there's no way God will forgive you. And I want you to understand that is a lie from all we have read this morning, that God is the God of forgiveness. Look at verse 5. David made his way through that trap. He wrestled with that condemnation. He'd go to bed at night and he'd say, man, what have I done? And man, can God ever, can God ever restore me? And can God forgive me? And then we get to verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord. And my iniquity I did not hide. It's kind of funny. We've talked about it before. But as if we can hide anything from God, what are we thinking and what are we doing? And even when you try to hide it from your parents, the Bible says your sin will always find you out. You ever notice that? That's because God loves us too much to leave us where we are, being destroyed by that sin, and wants to bring us to the land of forgiveness. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David had to cry out to God and finally admit what God already knew, but what he had to confess and what he needed to abandon. It's interesting, this act of confession 
is noted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4. I just want to read you a couple verses. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul, trying to preach to those who needed to be forgiven, brings up David as an example. And he says, And just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from his works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Even as Paul was preaching the gospel, and trying to equip the body of Christ to understand who God is, the God of forgiveness. He takes them all the way back to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. It says, David, David, our legendary leader, the man after God's own heart, he had to confess his sin. He had to abandon it as well. And he discovered how blessed is that person who does not cover up their sin and live in that sin, but instead experiences the forgiveness of God who does not take into account anything on the ledger for those who will confess and those who will, uh, will uh, what's the word? <laughs> Abandon, thank you. Abandon the sin. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Have you admitted your sin to God? Has there been a time... In your life where you said, God, you're holy and I'm not. Lord, I have rebelled against you, your will, and your word. I have transgressed against you. And God, I know I deserve death and separation. But God, I call on your mercy. Save me. Have you ever done that? And oh, by the way, young people, you don't have to wait for False Creek. His mercy is just as real in Oklahoma City as it is in Davis, Oklahoma. It's not something to put off. It's not something to wait for a camp high. It's something that today, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Do you need to be saved? Maybe False Creek starts right here, right now. Maybe False Creek comes to mom or dad. Maybe you can't get down to False Creek, but God has come to you right now. God wants to save you from your sin. Maybe you're worshiping with us online and God wants to save you. You say, what do I do? Well, first you have to do what David did. You have to admit that you've sinned against God. And you have to abandon that sin. It's not enough just to admit it. You have to abandon it. Say, Lord, here I am. I give you all. The Bible says we have to believe in our heart. It's at that point that we receive the gift of God's forgiveness. Have you ever received that gift? If you haven't, today, our staff are coming. Matter of fact, if our staff would make their way to the front, they'll be waiting on you. There'll be others coming, not because they need to be saved, but maybe to come get a prayer bracelet for Falls Creek. We have a lot of bracelets left on the stage. We're going to invite you to come and grab one of those and be a prayer warrior this week. Maybe a ping pong ball for your one, somebody you're praying for. But then maybe there's somebody here that today you said, man, I get it. I've rebelled against God and I need his forgiveness. I need to be saved. Come to one of our staff and say, that's me. I need to be saved. They'll pray with you and they'll help you take that next step. Maybe, maybe you've already made that step, but in your new life in Christ, you have still struggled with some iniquities, some things that are crooked in your path that you need to just confess and say, God, forgive me. Like David, I've sinned against you. I've done what is wrong and unholy. The Bible says he'll remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. 
maybe that's what you need to do to respond today but don't leave here the same way you came in let God do what only God can do father that is our prayer then in these next few moments we would simply respond to your word to your truth and that we would leave the land of unforgiveness and come running to your mercy and your grace God do that now in Jesus name